The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Cult for the Culture podcast are solely those of the individuals involved. The content presented is not a substitute for seeking or seeing a licensed mental health professional. Know what's up next, know what's up next. Healthy pleasure with it, Cult for the Culture. Better tune in, better tune in. Big sis, get him, big sis, get him. Cult for the Culture, Cult for the Culture, Cult. Hey y'all, welcome to the Cult for the Culture podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Renee, the culture's advocate. On this show, we have solo and interview-based episodes with individuals from different walks of life who are dedicated to being the change within the culture as it relates to various topics and their effects on the world of mental health. Today is a solo dolo episode. It is also a very bittersweet episode because this marks episode 16 of season 2, which means season 2 is over, y'all. Can you believe we got through 16 episodes already? And not to mention during quarantine? Our our whole season 2 is during quarantine, y'all. Ooh, but I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I learned so much this season. I've met so many great people. I've had the opportunity to connect with podcasters I had not had the opportunity to connect with in season one. Um, and I just, I'm so happy with the way that things turned out. And if you follow me on any of my social media platforms for Cult for the Culture, then you'll understand, especially on Twitter, how much I have just been appreciative of the support um it has been unwavering I I appreciate y'all I mean that's the most that I can say having a podcast getting up here every week talking about topics that you're not sure if people want to hear about or if they're ready to hear about is a battle within itself and I have a lot of things that I you know, struggle with before going into recording because y'all know I talk about imposter syndrome all the time. So I'm just thankful to have the listeners that I have for listening every week, for supporting me, for sharing my content. I will never, ever, ever forget that. So thank y'all so much. And I hope y'all continue to rock with me through these seasons. I don't know what the future holds for Cult for the Culture. I know it's great. I just don't know what it holds. So I'm very excited to see how things turn out and where we go from here. So with that being said, I will not leave you guys high and dry until season three. Um, I do want to spend some time to get my thoughts together, to get my bearings together, to decide what I want to do moving forward for season three, what the topics are, who I want to come on. But with that, I am going to try to do bonus episodes throughout so I don't just drop off the face of the earth, right? I will also still be present on all social media platforms. I'm open to connecting with other people, to reaching out. Um, I actually think my goal in between season two and season three is to connect with other podcasters um, and just have the opportunity to collaborate more because that's something that I really want to do. So if you're listening now and you're looking for guests, I am open to being a guest on um, anyone's podcast so I will try to do bonus episodes to keep y'all going I'm thinking that'll be like once a month that I'll throw out a bonus episode until I get to season three my hope is that I will not be out for a while I think there was like 
six, it, might, it may have been more than six months for season two to come out after season one ended. And I'm going to get into a little bit more about that today with the episode topic, but I did take a break uh, in between season one and season two for my health. So now that I'm stable and good, um, my hope is that it will not be a big gap between season two and season three. I'm thinking four-ish to six months. Um, Don't quote me on that, but that is my hope. And you guys will get bonus episodes in the meantime. Okay? Okay. So let's go ahead and get these shout-outs out the way. Not like, oh, let me just go ahead and be done with it. (laughs) But my shout-outs for today are in line with the episode for today, which will be on chronic illness. So my shout-outs today go to all of the people within the black and brown community that are struggling with a chronic illness that feels silent and isolated and that no one understands. I want to shout y'all out as a person who is living with a chronic illness and I can talk more about what that looks like and I have talked about what that looked like on the episode when Corey came on for Black Health Matters. But living with a chronic illness is pretty difficult. One, because it's not always seen with what the chronic illness is. People don't always know how to respond to it. They aren't always sure how to support or what to say. And so I just want to shout out any and everybody right now doing the best that they can to manage a illness or disease or condition that no one can see but you can feel each and every day. I want to shout you out. I know it can be hard at times. I know it can feel like no one understands and will ever understand. But there are other people out there that are going through the same exact thing. And so from one person who understands to the next, I just want to shout you out and tell you to keep going. This isn't the end of life for us. It is difficult. It is something that we have to adapt to and to help others adapt to. But at the same time, it's doable, y'all. So I just want to shout you out and tell you to keep going, do the best you can to take care of yourself and live your life. Live your life. I know sometimes it feels like it may not be worth it, just given all that you have to deal with. But live your life and keep going. Okay? All right. So today's self-care check-in Check this out. is one that I have been having plenty of conversations about and... I know I have seen other people having conversations about, I actually just felt like it was necessary to do the self-care check-in because I know that it is something that we all deal with in some form or fashion. And so for today's self-care check-in, we're going to address boundaries. I know boundaries sometimes are a foreign language to some people, especially if they're used to things being a certain way and then you decide that that's not the way that you want things to be anymore. So you establish boundaries to protect yourself, to protect your peace, your mental health, and that is a very difficult thing to do. I will not sit up here and act like boundaries are the easiest things to implement because they are not. I personally am somebody who, um, I think I've talked about this before, but I consider myself an empath, which just means I really feel the feelings of other people very heavily. And sometimes what that means is because I feel other people's feelings so heavily, sometimes they're taking on as my own. And that puts you in a very 
confusing place because you try to decipher is it what I feel or is it the influence that this person has on me and that their emotions has on me and so now this is how I feel as a result and for me it really took a long time to figure out what boundaries look like how do I establish boundaries with people how do I say no if I'm not comfortable with something or I don't want to do anything or if I don't want to talk about someone how do I make that known without offending the other person and what I came to realize is me tiptoeing around the subject, me holding so much space for other people's feelings and their perspectives that it took away from my ability to feel how I felt and the authenticity that came with that. And I decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. And I know just from my tribe and the conversations that we talk about, it's something that people deal with across the board especially when it comes to things like family. You know, family is our first relationship in the world. We don't get to choose family. We don't get to choose the relationships that we have with family initially. So when you start to evolve, when you start to grow, when you start to change, sometimes that throws people off. And I know me and my Nana talked about this last episode on generational trauma, how hard it can be for people sometimes to accept change to adapt to who you are becoming and who you are evolving into and I think a common misconception or notion that people have is that when you change you think you're better or you're trying to be funny or you know things around that line and quite honestly That's never what it is. It's not, at least for me and for the people that I know, it's not an issue of me wanting to be better than you or them wanting to be better than the next person. It's truly a thing of, these are things that I have allowed in the past. And because I allowed these things in the past, it has taken a toll on me and how I operate in the world. And sometimes that means me doing things that I don't want to do, me associating with people I don't want to associate with, me saying things or interacting in certain ways that I don't want to interact for the sake of not making other people feel uncomfortable with the boundaries that I'm trying to set. And so I just want to encourage people to keep at it. Boundaries are difficult. They are hard to implement, not only for the people around you, but for you as well. Because I know for me, I don't like for people to be upset with me. I don't like to feel like I've disappointed someone or I've made them upset. And for a long time, even now, but I'm I'm a lot better at it now and I'm working on it daily, but it would send my anxiety through the roof because I was battling so many different feelings, so many different thoughts, so many different perspectives. I didn't know which one was mine. What do I truly believe in? What do I truly feel? And so it became frustrating for me. And what I found is when I started implementing boundaries, it was really difficult for people. It was hard for them to understand. And what I've come to accept and realize is that As humans, as the human race, we are creatures of habit. And when things go outside of what we feel like is the norm, we don't know what to do with it. And it really makes a situation for people where sometimes they have to choose between themselves and the people that they love. And 
I feel like that's unfair. But I also know that everybody is on their own journey and where you are may not be where other people are at this time. But that doesn't mean that at some point they won't get there. I know when I first started implementing my boundaries, it shook a lot of my relationships because I was standing up for myself in ways that I hadn't before. I'm a very outspoken person, period. I have always been that way. If you are around me or my friend or my family, at some point in time, you have heard me say, I am a rebel with or without a cause. (laughs) So I've always been outspoken, but when it came to the people that I loved, to the people that I had relationships with, that was the hardest thing for me because I didn't want to lose those relationships, but it was also making me harbor a lot of resentment towards people because I wasn't letting them know how I truly felt. I wasn't giving them the opportunity to make changes and to adjust to the adjustments that I was making within myself. Because I think one thing we don't realize is when we set our boundaries, there's a lot of thought that goes into that. There are a lot of things that we contemplate There are a lot of things that we have to work through. And so that internal work is not shown outwardly to people. And so by the time that internal work becomes outward, we've already had the chance to deal with that. But everybody else has not. And so it's allowing people the opportunity to get to where you are and respect that it's going to take some time for them. Now, that doesn't mean that you let people treat you however and do whatever because I'm not for that. It just means we have to be mindful on both ends. So for today, look at your boundaries. How, how stable are your boundaries? Do you stand by those boundaries? Do you find yourself sometimes establishing boundaries but when people give you pushback, you back off? I really want you to look at those things and see what you can do, one, for yourself, because self is important, to be able to withstand what comes with establishing boundaries and also what you can do on the thought process of helping other people, not necessarily helping, but allowing other people the opportunity to catch up. Now, sometimes what that means is that you may lose relationships and friendships. And I know when we have known people for a long time and we've been through so much, we want to hold on to that. But what I have found is sometimes the relationships that I held on to the tightest weren't always the healthiest. And when I started to establish the boundaries that I did, some of those relationships started to fall off. And I've accepted that that's okay because... Those relationships served a purpose in the time frame that they were supposed to. And it came up on its expiration date. We don't keep milk after its expiration date. When it expires, we throw it out. We don't drink it. We don't want that because it's nasty. Same thing with relationships and boundaries. There are some relationships that are genuinely not good for you. And we typically know what those relationships are because those are the ones we fight for the most. Those are the ones we explain away the most to other people. Those are the ones where we tolerate behaviors that we typically wouldn't tolerate or don't want to tolerate. Those are the ones. So really consider that. Think about it. See what you can do. And just try your best. Give yourself grace. Be nice to yourself. Be compassionate to yourself. 
because when you establish boundaries, you'll really start to see the things that you allowed and it'll make you mad. Because I was pissed off for a while, like, girl, did you, you let them say that to you and you let them act this way and you, girl, so I know <laughs> it can get ugly real fast, but be nice to yourself and extend compassionate self-forgiveness for the times that you did not know how to show up for yourself because you didn't and that's okay we're all learning and contrary to popular belief people are able to change their minds they are able to grow they are able to get new information and change things in a way that adapts to things that are more healthy for them so if people are making changes it's not about you it's not for you to take personally. It's for you to say, okay, this is something that they want. This is something that they need for them. This is something that's going to be beneficial and it has nothing to do with me. And I should not take offense if they start establishing certain boundaries that they didn't establish before. That doesn't mean that they're acting funny. That means that they're doing something to better their mental health and to protect their peace. Okay, let's just give each other grace on that one. All right, so when I did the episode with Corey around Black Health Matters, I said that I was going to do another episode on chronic illness, and that's what I decided to do. And I wanted it to be the season finale of season two because it's so relevant. I don't think this is something that's not going to be relevant for a long time. I know that there is a lot of work that needs to be done around this so that it does not have to be the way that it is now. But I really wanted to talk about it. And it's not, I won't say that it's something that I didn't know before because I was aware, but I think it really changed my perspective, which I think is the case for most people. We learn better when it's an experience that we have on our own and we're able to identify with. And so when I was diagnosed with MS, and just my process with that up until now has really shown me how terrible, and I hate to sound, say that because it sounds really negative, but how terrible the healthcare system is, how terrible our perspectives are of chronic illness and the way that we treat people, and it just blew my mind. And so today's episode is Chronic Illness, the Silent Killer of the Black Community. And I know that <laughs> that episode sounds like a lot. And I'm sure when y'all read it before clicking on this episode, you probably had some feelings and that's okay because that statement is true. Chronic illness really plagues the black community. And we know that there are disparities in healthcare. We know that there are disparities when it comes to black people, especially black women reporting their pain and their threshold for pain. It, it is assumed that they can handle pain more. And Corey hit that, us with that fact before, I believe she said 50% of healthcare professionals within the United States have admitted that they have some type of implicit bias when it comes to women of color or black women assuming that they can handle pain more. And so it's things like that that has contributed to where we are right now and y'all know I do my research I don't come up here talking out the side of my neck so I want to share something with y'all really briefly that I found I just want to read this excerpt and it's gonna 
give us a lot of insight onto what this episode is going to look like today and the things that I'm going to talk about. But it really blew my mind and it bothers me when I see things like this because on a base level, I know that it does not have to be this way. And y'all know I don't do well with injustice. I don't do well with unfairness. I don't do well with that because I don't feel like it's right. And it's not. And that, that and that's a fact. It's not right. And it's especially unfair and not right when it comes to people's lives and their livelihood. And the fact is that chronic illness is really plaguing our community right now. And there's something that needs to be done. There are things that need to change. I know I'm only one person and I try to advocate for everything that I can, but I know that I have people out there such as Corey who are advocating for change and advocating for us to be taken more seriously because our health is serious. It's very serious and one day you can wake up and your life can change forever based on one diagnosis and you just never know. Like for me, I never in a million years thought that I would wake up one day and have unexplainable numbness in my body that later transferred to the whole left side of my body that turned into pain, that turned into memory fog. Um, I can name y'all all my symptoms, but we will be here for a while. But it was so many things that I had to adjust and adapt to that I never imagined in a million years. And I don't know that it was that I thought I was exempt, but all of us, I think, in some form or fashion feel that it's not something that would happen to us and the truth is that it can and it can happen fast and there are things such as environmental conditions um your dna biology things that can be passed down deficiencies there are so many things that can aid to chronic illness so let me go ahead and read y'all this thing really fast so It says, African Americans are living longer. The death rate for African Americans has declined about 25% over 17 years, primarily for those aged 65 and older. Even with these improvements, new analysis shows that younger African Americans are living with or dying of many conditions typically found in white Americans at older ages. The difference shows up in African Americans in their 20s and 30s and 40s for disease and causes of death. When disease starts early, they can lead to death earlier. Chronic diseases and some of their risk factors may be silent or not diagnosed during these early years. Health differences are often due to economic and social conditions that are more common among African Americans than whites. For example, African American adults are more likely to report they cannot see a doctor because of costs. All Americans should have equal opportunities to pursue a healthy lifestyle. I'm going to give you a second to digest that information because when I read this, it floored me. And when Corey was up here and I talked about MS and the fact that I thought it was a white woman's disease, that's really what I thought. And I had done a project on it in school because it was an assignment that I had and I knew information about it, but there was nothing in that information that made me feel like it was a disease that primarily affects black women or women of color. And what I come to know in doing my research is that it affects us at a higher rate than other races. And not only does it affect us as a higher rate, but our symptoms tend to be more severe 
longer lasting and sometimes resulting in more debilitating or disabilities quicker. And when I think about these things, it really pisses me off. And I'm going to be honest with y'all because (laughs) right now I feel myself about to cry and um, I'm honestly just going to let it happen because this just goes to show the toll that it takes. Yes, physically, chronic illness takes a toll, but the mental health piece, y'all, is so severe. And I didn't think I was going to get emotional like this, but when you learn that you have a chronic illness, depending on that chronic illness, it takes a big adjustment. Sometimes it's the medications you have to take. Sometimes it's the adjustments in diet. Sometimes it is the amount of times you have to go to the doctor. Sometimes it's how you function at work, how you explain to people what's going on in a way that still allows you to move freely as you used to. There are so many things that goes into it. And when you have to consider all these things so quickly, and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to understand why this happened to you in particular, it it really messes you up. And I know with this season, the episodes that I've talked about, they, they may have felt different. And the topics that I've brought up, they may have felt like, how does this relate to mental health? But I think we, we box mental health into this one pretty little box like these are the things that affect but chronic illness really 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 takes a toll on your mental health i know for me i found myself in the darkest of places early on in my diagnosis because i did not understand i didn't feel like myself i couldn't operate the way that i was used to i am a i'm a workout person i work out I do yoga like that is my thing it has been my thing for years and so for me a major adjustment at one point was working out because sometimes with chronic illness mine in particular MS is that it can have debilitating effects that sometimes may cause weakness Um, and so for there was a point in time where I did have severe weakness and I remember clear as day The day I decided to get back into the gym and work out and like just put all this behind me, I tried to lift weights and I tried to lift weights because that's what I was used to doing. But the reality is that's not what my body was used to doing anymore. And I was in a full blown flare up. My body had never gone through all of those symptoms at one time and it really did not know what to do. And it resulted in me lifting a weight that fell on my face. (laughs) And... It was at that moment for me that I was like, wow, this is this is real. Like I'm really having to make adjustments and to live a life that I'm not used to living. What does this mean for me? And I know that that's the case for a lot of people. I said earlier, we don't do well with change. We don't do well with change with boundaries. But imagine the boundaries and the things that you have to implement when you have a chronic illness. Because what I've learned is that people don't understand what they can't see. If they can't see it, if it's not visible for them, it's hard for them to believe. 
I can't tell y'all how many times, and this is something that needs to change, is how we handle chronic illness within the work environment. Because we have things such as sick time. I don't know about other people's jobs, but at some point, if you take too much sick time, people start to notice. Or if you do as I did, which is I went to work every day regardless of how I felt. And I want y'all to imagine what that looks like for me as a therapist when I am struggling myself, like struggling. When I tell y'all the only strength that I had during the day at work was for my clients. And when they left, that was it for me. And that's all that I had. But within the workplace, we put all these stipulations on people. We give them sick time, but then we measure the sick time and we dictate when people can go to appointments and when they can't. And if somebody takes off too much sick time, then it's an issue. And now we have to consider things like short-term disability or long-term disability, but we never stop and think about what this truly means for someone. And the reason why this person is calling out the way that they are or the reason why this person has to go to the doctor as frequently. And the crazy thing is that when it comes to illness, period, or anything health related, it's an HR issue. And I'm doing quote unquote right now with my fingers, but it's an HR issue because it's not really something that you're supposed to broach with other people because of legalities and people don't want to break the law. They don't want to be sued, all of these other things. But even within that, I think what we fail to realize and recognize is we are so discriminatory towards people with chronic illness. And it's not even something that I think that people mean to do, but just like we have norms with everything else, I think able body is, and for those of you that don't know what able body means, able body just means that you, you can move freely, you don't have any um, disabilities or anything that's debilitating towards you that would cause you not to be able to function at your highest rate. So I think we have made able body a norm. And so when people don't fall into that category, we don't understand it. And we try to put, you know, put labels on it or to assume that people aren't feeling any kind of way and y'all it's really messed up that's not the word I wanted to use and I'm gonna say that out loud that's not the word I wanted to use there's another word that starts with another letter that I wanted to use but I'm not gonna use that but it is really messed up the way that we treat people for things that they did not ask for you can sit anybody down with chronic illness today. And if you gave them the opportunity to not have to deal with that thing, they would jump on that. So I need us to understand and to recognize that when it comes to chronic illness, we don't ask for this. There's nobody who asked for cancer. There's nobody who asked for MS. There's nobody who has asked for Parkinson's, fibromyalgia, um, endometriosis. People don't ask for those things. Lupus, they don't ask for it. Trust me, it is painful, they suck, it doesn't feel good, people don't ask for that. And so it's hard for me to understand why we treat people that way. And so I just want to read over some of the other facts that they had up here and so, so we can better understand and see the things that we are dealing with and why. So I talked about earlier that the death rate for African Americans decreased 25%, and that is from 1999 to 2015. 
And it's, that number sounds so low to me. Because if you consider 1999 to 2015, that's a long time, y'all. That is a long time. And to think that it's only decreased by 25%. The other thing is that African Americans are 18. African American ages 18 to 49 are two times as likely to to die from heart disease than whites. African Americans ages 35 to 64 years are 50% more likely to have high blood pressure than whites. So we know that one's true because we know high blood pressure is a thing in the family. It is something that runs in my family and so when I asked the question on my Instagram and Twitter this week of what are the generational curses and traumas that you're trying to break illness is one of them and I know it's hard but I I, and it may sound impossible but I know that there are certain things we can do for certain ailments that will put us at a better opportunity to be able to thrive and fight illness better so things such as vitamin d deficiency a lot of us especially african americans have a vitamin d deficiency all that means is we need to get out into the sun more one thing that i've learned since being in quarantine i have spent a lot of time outside and i had a pretty low vitamin d deficiency and that's actually a risk factor for ms along with environments colder conditions i was born in rhode island I lived there until I was two years old. And so the fact that I was there in the cold conditions that I lived in for a while, that's a risk factor. So things such as that, where we don't always know those (laughs) tidbits or facts, so we don't know what to do with them. But that's definitely a generational curse that I want to break because high blood pressure is something that has affected my family for a long time. And I knock on wood saying this, but I have been blessed enough not to have that. Yes, I have MS. I don't know if I would choose blood, high blood pressure or MS because that sounds crazy to even compare, but I don't have it. That's one less thing that I have to worry about. So the problem with chronic illness within our community is that younger African-Americans, so let's think about the millennials, right, are living with diseases more common at older ages. Ages 18 to 34 of African-Americans have high blood pressure compared to 10% of white Americans. Ages 35 to 49, 33% versus 22%. Ages 50 to 64, 61% versus 41%. For diabetes, it is 1.5% to 1.4 for ages 18 to 34. Ages 35 to 49, it is 10% to 6 ages 50 to 64, 23% to 14%. And then the last one is stroke. So ages 18 to 34, 0.7% for us versus 0.4 for white Americans. Ages 35 to 48, 2% versus 1%. And ages 50 to 64, 7% versus 4%. And... What it all boils down to is that African-Americans or black people are more likely to die at early ages from all causes. All causes, y'all. It's mind-blowing. And not only is chronic illness something that is invisible for most people so they don't understand. So you think about things like fibromyalgia. I've heard about fibromyalgia for years, but there was so much like backlash there were so many discrepancies people didn't believe it it was something that people were making up people weren't really in pain like that and I remember hearing about those things and then I got MS 
And when I say that pain is the most invisible pain, unless I'm, I'm making faces or I'm making sounds, because a lot of the times, like I've just kind of learned how to manage through it. It doesn't feel great, but there are other times where it's like, ooh, ooh, and you'll, you'll hear me make a noise or make a sound and like my mom or my best friend or my family, they know like, oh, she's having a moment. But if I don't do that, people don't know. And it was the same thing with fibromyalgia, same thing with endometriosis. They're making this up. They're not feeling this way. And I'm like, why is it for us that when we come and we report these things that it's not true, we're making it up. We just want attention. We just want money. We just want to be off work. Y'all, we don't want this. We don't want it. We do not want it. I need people to understand that. Nobody wants to make up pain. Nobody wants to pretend to be in pain. It's, it's not a fun thing to do. And I don't know why is that. I do know why it's that way. I need to stop saying I don't know. It is that way because of the system that we have built up over time. Black people have been the subjects of medical studies for years, both voluntarily and involuntarily. They have been used to, to test pain thresholds. They have been used to test live illnesses and viruses to determine how the medicine will help these things. They have been the test subjects for that. And if we wanna take it further, we were beat for a long time, but yet we still got up every day and quote unquote went to work, i.e. the plantation, the cotton field, inside the house, whatever the job was, we got up and we did it every day. And it saddens me because now that is still something that we're doing. There are people living with chronic illness day in and day out, sometimes to the point where they don't want to live. They don't want to function like that no more, but they get up and they go to work. And I think that puts us at a disadvantage because you have people like me who say, I'm, I'm serious about my professionalism. I like to, you know, make sure that I'm being professional in all settings, but being professional caused me to lax my boundaries and to take care of myself. I went to work every day because I felt like I didn't have a choice. I felt like if I had too much sick time, it would be an issue. I would be written up. And that's something that we continue to carry. I know I'm not the only person. I know that there are people every day that literally have to make up, wake up and make life decisions about whether or not they're gonna go to work and what that'll mean for them. I saw a post on Instagram. I'm not 100% sure of the validity of this, like the number wise, but the statement itself is true. It said, black people are negative 423% less likely to believe when they say that they have an illness, whether it is documented or undocumented meaning whether or not you have paperwork or not to prove it. And that resonated with me. And I know that this will probably resonate with a lot of people because I found myself. And this is something that I'm trying to work on and see what my boundaries are. 
but I found myself having to consistently justify my illness to justify why I may look a certain way or why I may not want to talk up as much in a meeting or why it may look like I'm not interested. A, a symptom for me with MS is chronic fatigue. The fatigue is out of this world. I, it is something that I would not wish on my worst enemy. Like it, when people say that they are tired, like yes, tired is a thing, but fatigue tired, like chronic tired, like you can't manage it. There's nothing that you do that contributes to it. That kind of tired. It's a different beast. And so when I found myself being in those spouts of having chronic fatigue, I still got up and I went to work. But when we were in meetings or just talking about frivolous things, I didn't always want to engage or I didn't engage. And it wasn't because I was mad or I didn't want to work there, which were questions that were asked of me. It wasn't that. It was just I was really trying my best to be present in whatever way that looked for me. But for some reason, that translated to other people as I was no longer happy working there. Um, was I mad about something? Did I have a, like it translated into all of these, you know, the black woman in America and corporate America, it translated to those things. And I know that that happens to a lot of people where they have to justify, they have to provide you with documentation to say, I have this illness. And because I have these illness, I may need these accommodations. And we question people as if, if they had the opportunity to do anything different, they would choose it. I'll be the first one to tell you, I'll, I'll know. And I keep saying that because I need it to be drilled <laughs> into people. It's just, it's so much, y'all. It really is. And I want to go over some of the risk factors. As I told you earlier, like for me, things as vitamin D deficiency, living in colder environments, things like that. But there are other risk factors for um, health for African-Americans at younger ages. Some of those things being unemployment. Okay. Living in poverty, no home ownership, could not you see a medical doctor because of cost, smoking, not active, obesity. Those are all risk factors. And it's mind-blowing mind to think things like no home ownership has anything to do with your medical care. There are states, not states, there are other countries in the world where healthcare is not a thing. It is free. It's not questioned. People get the health care that they need and deserve. But for some reason in America and this current election, our current president and all of these things should show us now that when it comes to us as Americans, money and the economy mean more to us than justice. It means more than us, more to us than health care reform. It means more to us than accessibility to health care. Like it means more. Money drives us for some reason. And that drive is driving people into the ground. Chronic illness is the silent killer of the black community. And people want to say that structural racism does not exist, but it does. There were things put in place over time that have made people believe the things that they believe, have given them implicit biases that have allowed them to think the way that they think. There are things that have contributed to that. And so now here we are where people that are young, I mean, think about 
cases where you've heard of cancer for people and they were 24 or 25 and by the time they got to the doctor and were taken seriously, they were at stage four. That happens. Think about COVID right now and how we were saying that there were high-risk populations. I'm a part of the high-risk population because I'm immunocompromised. And so that requires me to take things a little bit seriously. As for others, it requires people to take things more seriously. But for some reason, structural racism, we are still the ones who are dying at a higher rate. We are the ones that are coming in and they're not believing us and sending us home. We're the ones that we're coming in and they allow us to have space, but they're not taking care of us as they are taking care of the next person. It's unfair. And something has to change. Something has to change. It does, because if it doesn't, chronic illness is going to slowly wipe us out. And that might sound morbid and dark, and I'm sorry to put it that way. However, it's the truth. We need universal health care. You shouldn't have to fight to get health care. You shouldn't have to be going to debt to get proper health care. I have insurance and I'm still, I'm not even going to share the numbers with y'all because they are ridiculous, but my medical bills are ridiculous and they're ridiculous for a lot of people and people can't afford it. And because people can't afford it, they don't go to the doctor. And you know what that means? That they go years and years with health conditions and not being diagnosed. And by the time they get health insurance and get to the doctor or build up the strength to go to the doctor because they don't think that they're going to be believed, it's too late. It's too late. Things such as MRIs should be a part of your yearly checkups. We go to the doctor and, you know, they do blood work and they, for women, they check your breasts, for men, you know, prostate, they do all of those things. But we don't realize what's going on in the brain. When I was diagnosed with MS, my doctor told me that she knows that I had it for years prior to being diagnosed. And it blew my mind because I thought about the things that happened over the years prior to me being diagnosed, the times where I would get sick for no reason or I was nauseous all the time or all of a sudden I was having this chest condition where it felt like I was going to die because I couldn't breathe. Come to find out later, that's what they call the MS hug. And I had that for years and they diagnosed me with costochondritis, which is inflammation of the chest. Inflammation of your, um, I believe it's your sternum and your rib cage, it inflames and it makes it difficult for you to breathe. That's what they diagnosed me with. I had some issues with my hand one year where it was just sharp pains. I couldn't write. I couldn't use my hand. I got diagnosed with carpal tunnel. Then I had my flare up where I got diagnosed with MS and realized that that was a symptom. And all of these things had played their part separately at one time. And it wasn't until everything hit that they took me seriously even my doctor at first was throwing my primary was throwing out all of these things that she thought it could be none of which related to nerve damage or anything if i'm telling you that i'm having numbness i can't feel my fingers i can't feel my hand oh now i can't feel my arm i can't feel the left side of my body you know those things should let you know that it's something neurological or is that it's something more serious but instead of sending me for MRI you send me for chest x-rays or hand x-rays or arm x-rays all of these things that have nothing to do with what I'm dealing with because what you need to see is my brain 
but we don't offer MRIs as a part of our healthcare system. You don't get it until something is wrong. But if we had this beforehand, if we really looked at things yearly and monitored and kept track of these things, we would have a better advantage of being able to help people earlier. People would have the opportunity to fight. People wouldn't have to wait until it was too late. Like there are so many things that we can do to avoid this. But money rules the world. And so for my people in healthcare that are fighting for reform, please keep fighting. For those of you in your communities, talk to your local legislators, go go to meetings, whatever you have to do to put this information out there to make it known because the truth is that it's affecting us more than anyone else. And unfortunately, what I have learned is nobody is going to fight harder for us than us. So unfortunately, that means that we're going to have to be the ones to advocate in these spaces. It makes me so happy to see the amount of millennials that are being trained as medical doctors because that's helping to change the narrative because they know what the discrepancies are. They know what the disparities are. They know what's happening. They lived it. And now they get to be in a role where they can do something about it. And something needs to be done. I can't put it, you know, (laughs) put more past that. But what this article did suggest of things that can be done, and I can share these with you guys if you want to do something. Um, So they said for the federal government, they are currently collecting data to monitor and track health health conditions that may affect health, such as poverty, and high school graduation rates. Supporting partnerships between scientific researchers and community members to address diseases and conditions that affect some populations more than others. They're addressing heart disease, stroke, and other cardiovascular diseases, which disproportionately affect African-Americans by implementing national initiatives, such as a million hearts. Supporting actions to create healthy food environments and increase physical activity in underdeserved communities. So I know Michelle Obama, especially when Obama was in office, made this her thing, is supporting actions to create healthy food environments. She revamped the um, the food that kids were getting for lunch and breakfast, the amount of activities that they had. Like She made sure things were being done, and that's something that she's continuing to do. So shout out to her for that. Um, for my public health professionals, you can use proven programs to reduce disparities and barriers to create opportunities for health. Work with other sectors such as faith and community organizations, education, business, transportation, and housing to create social and economic conditions that promote health starting in childhood. Link more people to doctors, nurses, or community health centers to encourage regular and follow-up medical visits. Develop and provide trainings for healthcare professionals to understand cultural differences in how patients interact with providers and the healthcare systems. That last one, y'all, that's the truth. Okay? So keep on that so that's for my public health care professionals for community organizations train community health care workers in underserved communities to educate and link people to free or low-cost services conduct effective health promotion programs and community work program school and home settings work across sectors to connect people with services that impact health such as transportation and housing help people go see their doctor take all medications as prescribed and get to follow-up appointments okay 
and then for my healthcare providers. They can work with communities and healthcare professional organizations to eliminate cultural barriers to care, connect patients with community resources that can help people remember to take their medicine as prescribed, get prescription refills on time, and get to follow-up visits. Learn about social and economic conditions that may put some patients at higher risk than others for having a health problem. Collaborate with primary care physicians to create a comprehensive and coordinated approach to patient care. And promote a trusting relationship by encouraging patients to ask questions. So those are the things that they say we can do as far as like community organizations, healthcare professionals, public health. But I want to offer some things that we can do just on a personal level for ourselves. The first thing being, advocate for yourself always and fully. I don't care what you have to do and what you have to say. But if something is bothering you, if you know your body, if you know something is off, if you know you've never felt this way before, tell your doctor and continue to tell them. I know it's a hard thing to address doctors or to disagree with them but it's something that's necessary because at the end of the day their feelings and how they feel in their job and their credentials versus you and your body and your health and what that means for your life always choose you that's what they are there for they are there to help and serve you and a part of helping and serving you is taking you seriously so advocate for yourself always the other thing is to document when things go wrong or you're treated unfairly or things have happened, document that and report it to the appropriate people. Whether that is the manager of the practice, the head doctor, the charge nurse, whoever it is that you need to report it to, report that. The other thing I would say is to, and I've seen this on social media and I've also heard people tell me this in um, professional settings for healthcare, is when you ask your doctor for something or you, you ask for a certain test, you ask to be referred to a certain specialist, whatever the case may be, when you ask and it is denied because you are not taken seriously, ask that healthcare professional to document their refusal in your chart. Because what that shows is you advocated for yourself, you asked for something that you felt like was appropriate based on your body and how you feel, and because of whatever implicit bias they have or whatever it is that their own personal beliefs, whatever the case may be, they did not believe you and they did not take you seriously. Most people don't want to document that they refuse you some treatment. So what most times will happen is that they will come back offering a solution that you asked for and that they could have given you in the first place without you having to threaten documenting it. The other thing is to always ask questions. Ask questions even if it feels like a dumb question because when it comes to you, your health, your body, there is no dumb question. You need to know how things are going to affect you. You need to know what medications are, what are the side effects, what are the long-term effects versus short-term, how it can affect you because the thing is sometimes you get on medications for one thing, but that medication starts causing you other problems. So we have to ask questions. Always, always, always ask questions. Those are the things that I would say for yourself on a personal level that you can do for advocate for change for yourself. Because we deserve to live long lives. We deserve to be here. We deserve to fight for the careers that we want. We deserve to break generational curses and help revamp and reform. And <laughs> those probably aren't the best words. Our families. I just can't think of another word. Y'all, I told y'all sometimes memory fog is a thing. And right now I can't find the word that I'm looking for. 
but we're trying to heal our families. There we go. Trying to heal our families and grow and change and evolve together. And a part of us being able to do that is being here. And in order to be here, we have to advocate for change. We have to take people with chronic illness seriously. It is not up to us to determine someone's pain threshold because nobody can feel that pain but that person. It is not up to us to determine based on that pain how someone may feel. It is not up to us to determine based on the condition, illness, or whatever that somebody has, whether or not that they are able to do a job or to work in a function. That's not up to you. And I need us to know that. I say this from the kindest of places. Mind the business that pays you. My health ain't it. Their health ain't it. And the person down the street, their health ain't it. We shouldn't have to over-explain ourselves in professional environments. I encourage you to go to HR if you have something that you need accommodations for, if you feel like you are being treated unfairly because of your condition. And if that doesn't work, I encourage you to go to whoever the job board is for you in your state and file a claim. Because you deserve to have a full life, a full work professional career just as anybody else. And you shouldn't have to over explain a condition that you never asked for. And it is not up to you to prove to people how much something affects you. That's all I got for today, y'all. And I know that may seem like that's all you got because it was a lot. <laughs> but um, that's just how I feel. And I want us to do something differently. I want us to live. We got so much to live for, so much to fight for, so many things to change. And we can't do that if we're not here. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to look at the things that are not helpful to us. We have to look at our diets. We have to look at the things that we take into our bodies. We have to look at the environments we're in. What causes us stress? Because stress most times is a big risk factor for any condition. Because when your cortisol levels are up like that all the time, when you're always on guard, when you're functioning in a place of fight or flight, you're not functioning at your highest capacity and your body is overworking because it's trying to keep you calm. And that causes your immune system not to work as effectively as it used to. So we have to consider the things that are contributing to us on a personal level and then move up to the world and figure that out too. But I'm glad that this was the last episode for season two. And like I said earlier, I'm so appreciative to y'all listening to, to my podcast. I have been through so much from season one to season two. And in the first episode of season two, I talked about how healers hurt too and I alluded to some things but now you guys know the full of why I had to take a break and why I really just needed time to focus on myself and figure things out because chronic illness really is something that you have to adjust your life to and that's not always an easy thing it really can take a toll on your mental health it can cause depression it can cause anxiety like I've never dealt with depression the way that I did when I first got diagnosed I've always had anxiety, but depression wasn't something that I struggled with, and I did, because I didn't understand it. I didn't know how to press forward. I didn't know what life would look like for me, and doctors kept telling me this isn't a death sentence, but all I kept hearing was, yes, it is. 
my life is different. I'm not the same person that I used to be. I have to make all of these accommodations. And so that's why I wanted to talk about this for the last episode. I have really come to terms with the things that I am going through, have gone through, and will go through are not just for me. I have accepted, and y'all have heard me talk about this before, that my purpose is to help other people. And sometimes in order to help other people, you have to know what it feels like to be those people. And now I know, and I will always advocate for change when it's needed. I don't care what it is. That's a part of my purpose. That's a part of me being here in this world. And until I leave here, that's what I'm going to do. And so it really means a lot to have y'all come up here and listen to me and just be open to a different perspective. I know mental health is not the norm in our community and it makes me happy to see that we're doing more about it, that we're taking it seriously, that we're recognizing patterns, we're recognizing triggers, we're recognizing generational trauma and how that has affected us, childhood trauma. We're recognizing all of these things and we're doing our best to move forward. And a part of doing our best to move forward is having conversation conversations such as the ones that I have up here every day, or not every day, every week when I release an episode. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm super excited about season three. I hope y'all are. I'm going to hit y'all with the bonus episodes, like I said, until season three comes so y'all can stand the loop. If you are not subscribed to the podcast, go ahead and press subscribe. Share with a friend. Share with your tribe. Also, make sure you follow me on all social media platforms so you can stay up to date. You can know when season three is coming. You can know if I'm having events. Um... I think there are going to be a lot of good things coming by the time season three comes out. For those of you who do not know, not only am I a therapist, but now I am being trained as a yogi. So I plan to incorporate that into my practice. And so I may have some things such as classes that I may offer um, for free as I'm training to, you know, get, get my bearings together and figure that part out. So there may be a lot of great things that come between now and season three. And I'm super excited about that. So in the meantime, catch up on episodes from season one. If you have not listened, I know a lot of, a lot of my listeners came in in season two. I, I, I got a really big following all of a sudden. I won't say all of a sudden it's built up over time, but I'm having more people that are interacting with me this season. And so I'm getting more feedback and I always want to hear things. I always want to hear what people think about the episode. I want to hear what resonated with them. I want to hear how, you know, something helped something for them. I don't know. I just want to hear back from people. So it means a lot for the people who have provided feedback for the people who have been respectful of my craft. I appreciate y'all. I really do. And I love y'all. I do. I care and I love y'all. So as always, thank you for tuning in to the Cult for the Culture podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Renee, and I'm out this thing. Bye, y'all. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. It's Tiana Renee here. To make sure you stay up to date on all information related to Cult for the Culture, be sure to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram at Cult for the Culture podcast, Twitter at Cope, the number four, The Culture, and on Facebook at Cope for the Culture Podcast. As always, I appreciate you for tuning in. Bye, y'all.